Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day. Well, thank you. Hopefully uh, you got over here and uh, had a few uh, gallons of sausage gravy, a couple dozen eggs, some bacon, some French toast. Yeah, it was awesome. So I think we still have some food back there, so help yourself uh, after service. And we've got a bunch of food back there in the corner. Be blessed by that and our uh, relationship that we have with Trader Joe's, so help yourself afterwards. But um, wasn't going to really acknowledge anything for Father's Day, but I'm going to have one of these proud papa moments, so you all just going to bear with. So last night, and I already told him I was doing this, and God's blessing to do it. Um, last night, my son, Matt, who I think everybody knows, he sits back there at the little tech area. Yep, he's waving to everybody. Wave. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, last night, we're, uh, we spent the day, we were hanging out and everything, and uh, he had uh, been up uh, working on some stuff in his room, and he came down, he handed me a little note, you know, a little Father's Day thing on it, and um, also had in there that... Uh, he is uh, ready and uh, would like to be baptized. So we are going to make that happen. And uh, tell you, couldn't get a better Father's Day gift than that. So, so happy Father's Day to all the men and uh, all those who uh, play a part there. So, now today we've got a lot to cover, so I'm going to go ahead and get you to start getting there. So if you have His Word, and I hope you do, go ahead and open up to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter four. We'll pick up where Chuck left us off last week in 23. And while you're turning there, I'll give you some time. Last week, Chuck was sharing with us about Peter and John and what happened after they had healed the lame beggar. If you remember, there was a beggar that had been sitting out and had been paralyzed all of his life. And Peter and John came by, and he wanted alms, as Pastor Ken had shared with us. He wanted a handout. And instead of giving a handout, they gave a hand up. Literally, they helped him up in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. Well, the Jewish leaders, well, they didn't really like that. So they arrested Peter and John and brought them before the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders of the day, and got on them a little bit, as you may recall, threatened them a little bit. You know, by what name do you do this? And they said, well, by the name of Jesus. And if you remember, they threatened them some more, and they told them, well, never do anything in this man's name again. Never heal in this man's name again. Never proclaim this man's name again. And they had a very interesting response. They said, Who are we going to listen to, you or God? I know who I'd listen to. But for them, that was a very big step. So we're going to pick up in 23, right after they were released. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together. 
against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal. And signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today, and uh, we thank you for the opportunity to come and enter into your presence and to hear from you, Lord. And Lord, uh, just begin by thanking you for all the dads in this room, all the dads that are out there, all the dads who have passed away, and all those who will one day be dads. We thank you for their influence, Lord, and uh, Lord, uh, be a blessing to them on uh, this day that we remember fathers. But uh, Lord... Today we come to hear from you, to uh, continue to know you deeper, to appreciate you deeper so that we can live out your will and your love in our lives. So Lord, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive your word so that we can leave out of here being the light that you call us to be, to love thy neighbor as ourselves, and just to see you glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Peter and John are returning from some persecution. They had been threatened by the Sadducees. And to be honest, they could have just as easily turned away. They could have run away. They could have decided that they didn't want any part to do with any of this. But they chose to live out their faith despite the threats. And we find in the first couple verses that they came back to the other disciples, probably to the same room that they had been sharing all along when the Holy Spirit had come. They probably had had the same room the whole time, and this was kind of like their meeting point where they would come together and pray. And they came back to share what had happened. But I want you to notice as we read through this what they prayed for and what they didn't pray for. You see, Peter and John didn't come running back and begin praying for safety. It's like, God, if we're going to continue to live out this mission, if we're going to continue to go and proclaim Jesus, you've got to protect us. God, if we're going to continue to try to live this out, please don't ever let us get arrested again. Don't let us be threatened again. Don't let them take things from us. No, they didn't pray any of that. They didn't pray for any safety. They didn't pray for any protection. You know, something else they didn't pray for. They didn't pray praise for delivering them back either. They didn't come back and say, Yo, Matthew, Andrew, James, let's give thanks. You know, let's lift our hands up and just give thanks that God saw fit to bring us back. No, they didn't do any of those things. Essentially, they fell to their knees 
and said, Not our will be done, but yours. See, they were praying for God's will to be done. They were praying what they had seen Jesus doing throughout his ministry. We've been following along. We talked about what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane back before our Easter service, where Jesus, before he went to be crucified, went out to pray before the Father. And he asked to have this cup taken from him, but ultimately not my will, but yours be done. They were following the example that they had seen from Jesus. And they begin to pray those verses, and beginning in verse 25, that actually come from Psalm 2. They're praying about those who oppose God. They mention Herod and Pontius Pilate the Gentiles, and the Jews. All of those who denounce who Christ is and what Christ came to do. They're praying for those people. And they're acknowledging God's omniscience and his omnipotence. They're acknowledging that God's omniscience, his all-knowing, and his omnipotence, his all-powerful nature, is what is truly in control because As we see them praying throughout verse 28 to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. They're acknowledging that God is in control. That God predestines and foreknows everything that has happened, will happen, or will ever happen. And they're resting in that absolute power of God. That he is in control, not them. They're not trying to do this of their own. They realize that they are just a meager few people. And if Rome or the Jews decide to wipe them out, that there is nothing that they could do individually to ever prevent that. So they're turning to the one who can. And they're acknowledging God's control in the situation. That everything that happens has happened and ever will happen is happening according to his will and not theirs. So, they pray for the one thing they can pray for. Verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They wanted to be able to go out And continue to proclaim Jesus regardless of whatever may happen. Regardless of the persecution, the conflict, they wanted to be bold. Because you see, ultimately, they know that they weren't doing this for themselves. And they were united with a common goal a common purpose, a common mission to see God glorified, Christ proclaimed, and the Holy Spirit transforming people's lives. You know something? Throughout the history of the church, persecution has had benefits. In all honesty, persecution has benefits even outside the church. And don't believe me, just look around here on a Sunday afternoon particularly in the fall and winter, you know, as we have opposition 
you know, as the Baltimore Ravens welcome in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, boo, yeah. But think about how that promotes unity here in Baltimore. A team is coming in to our house. A team is trying to come in and dictate how we are going to live, how we are going to respond, and we get united because we are going to overcome the enemy. Opposition always brings unity. And that's been the same now as it was for the last couple thousand years. And the church, as I said, has always thrived under that persecution. As we've been studying through Romans, and we did through the Easter series as well, the Roman Empire, as well as the Jews, have constantly been persecuting and oppressing Christians. You see, they had come to fear this new movement that was called the Way. And as we go on and you go through and you get to the end of the book, you start to learn how that persecution unfolds for a lot of people. A lot of the people that we've been talking about, the apostles, those who Jesus himself went out and said, come, follow me. You 12 are going to come and do life with me. You'd think that would make you a little safe. But that isn't the case. The apostle Andrew was crucified. Thomas was killed with spears. Matthew was stabbed to death. Paul, who we spend a lot of time talking about, beheaded. Peter, the great apostle, the rock on which this church shall be built. The guy who you would think would be safest of all because he's told, I will build my church on you, was crucified upside down because he didn't think himself worthy of being crucified in the same manner as Jesus Christ And all of that, after having to watch his wife be crucified, he did not denounce Jesus Christ. Every single apostle and a lot of the disciples died. Very horrible deaths. With the only exception being the guy who wrote the last book of the Bible, Revelation, the apostle John. Instead, he found himself cast out, and put on a little island called Patmos. Imprisonment for life doesn't sound bad, but just to give them a little parting gift, church history says that they decided to put them down in a boiling vat of oil as a going-away present. So he, too, paid the price. And on and on it goes throughout the church. Matter of fact, this October, October 31st to be exact, we're going to mark something on the calendar It's the 500th year anniversary of Martin Luther hammering the 95 Theses to a church door and started what is called the Reformation Movement. See, Martin Luther had come to realize that the Catholic Church had become corrupt and it was beginning to persecute those who truly followed Christ. They put a bunch of rules and regulations on people and told them they could buy their way into heaven, and if they didn't pay certain amounts, they wouldn't get into heaven. And they began to take a very governing, hierarchical approach to things. And Luther didn't think that was too cool. So he decided to do something about it. He challenged the church. 
And he said, we need to provide Bibles to people so that they can read them. Because not everybody can read Latin. Matter of fact, unless you were a priest, you probably weren't going to be reading Latin. So he spent years translating into German, which didn't make the church happy. Then he comes out with this crazy notion that says, salvation comes through faith alone. Well, the Catholic Church didn't really like that, so they put him on trial and trial and trial. And they'd imprison him and they'd ridicule him. And on and on our church history goes. And even today, today we still see Christians being persecuted around the world. We see stories of how missionaries are beaten and that they're killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, one of those missionaries I got to hear firsthand from a number of years ago is with the Central Christian Indian Mission. His name is Ajay Law, and um, he lives in India. And um, for those who don't know, India is not a very predominant Christian country. It has a few cells, but for the most part, Hindu, Hindi, uh, Muslim, Buddhist, everything but Christian. But Ajay went and planted a church, he and his wife. And some people in the towns weren't very happy with that. So they began, some of the men, threatening people as they would come to worship on Sunday. And when the verbal threats didn't pan out, they would start threatening with physical violence, saying, keep coming, we're going to beat you. Well, people kept coming, so they started beating people. But guess what? They kept coming. So they went to Ajay and his wife and said, get out of here. We don't want you here. When that didn't work, they decided to threaten them. They started beating them, and it didn't work. People still came and gathered and worshipped Jesus. And a day came where these men came into the church, and they drug him out, he and his wife, and said, denounce Christ. And they said, no. They said, denounce Christ, or we're going to beat you. They said, no. So they beat them. And they drug him into the woods to beat him some more. And they turned to Ajay and said, denounce Christ or we're going to rape your wife in front of you. And Ajay says that he wishes he had the strength to be able to say no. But his wife did. She looked at him and said, don't you do it. Don't you denounce our Lord and Savior. So he stood firm. And they did what they said they were going to do. And they went back to that church. And they could have done exactly what Peter and John did. They could have run away. Or they could have fled back home and prayed for safety. But they didn't. That next Sunday, they went and unlocked their church. And people came. And they gathered. And they worshipped, and they proclaimed boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they began praying for those men who had spent 
time beating them and raping her. And God was at work even in the midst of all of that. And the day came when those four men asked for forgiveness for what they did, repented, and accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because they lived a faith of boldness. They continued to pray. They were united with a common mission, a common goal, and a common vision that comes from God and God alone. Now, we don't face that type of persecution here. You know, sure, we face some issues here in this country. You know, you may have a coworker at work who gets upset because you invite them to church. You may have a neighbor who moves in and you go, hey, you got a church home and they slam the door in your face. That's the type of persecution we face here. We don't know anything about what it means to be persecuted. We sit here as a church and we worry about our tax status. These people sit here and worry about losing their heads. So what's our excuse for not boldly proclaiming the word of God? I honestly don't know what it is. As I've wrestled through this text, I don't know what keeps us from being bold, what keeps us from going out there and inviting people to church to hear from God. Is it a door being closed in our face? Or them thinking that we're weird? I think I can deal with that. there's another important, powerful lesson to learn, and that's prayer. They were only able to go and live out this boldness because of prayer and turning it all over to God. Because you see, God uses prayer to unite his people, to be part of that common vision and common mission. That's why every time we see the apostles persecuted, we see them praying. Every time Jesus had things going on, he went away to pray. That is the model that we have seen throughout time. Even throughout the Old Testament, God always made prayer the center because prayer is how we get to hear from God. And it's how we become united with his will in our lives. Because you see, we need God's will to guide us. We need God's will to unite us. And we need God's will through prayer to be known to us so that we can be bold and that we can go out, despite whatever petty circumstances we encounter, and say, we have the way of life. Come, follow him. Because ultimately it's about his will be done, not ours. So friends, I don't know everybody's situation. Maybe you don't yet have that relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you haven't come to that point in your life when you're ready to say, not my will, but yours be done. 
But that's what God did. He laid into plan, he laid out a plan so that all can be saved. From the moment that we fell, Adam and Eve turned their backs on God. He laid this out, and it's very simple. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you haven't done that, if you haven't turned your life over to Jesus, I'd invite you when we close out here in prayer and the band comes up to play to come on up. I'd be glad to talk to you about that. But I do also want to let you know it's not an easy road. Don't think that because you follow Jesus, everything's going to be better. All your problems are going to get better. We just heard crucified, beheaded, stabbed to death, pierced with spears, beaten, raped. All, we can look at all of that and think, I don't want any part of that. But it's a small price to pay for eternity with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come into your presence, to hear from you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the example of the apostles. We thank you for their boldness. We thank you that despite everything that was going on in their lives, the threats, the violence, that they didn't cave, they didn't give in, that they pursued you even more because they considered it an honor to face persecution, to be beaten, to be tortured, to be threatened because it is such a small price to pay compared to what Jesus did for us. And Lord, I thank you for the examples of people like Ajay and seeing that faith tested and holding firm. So, Lord, I pray for us as a body that you would fill us with that boldness. Because, Lord, we don't face anything like that here. Lord, uh, give us a boldness to overcome ourselves. Because I think that's probably the biggest problem. Because we're so worried about what people think about us. We're so worried about our image. But, Lord, at the end of the day... It's not going to matter. Lord, I pray for all of us that we will one day hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, allow us to be your mouth. Allow us to be your hands. Allow us to reach down and help people up just like Peter did with that lame beggar and say, I don't have things of this world to help you, but I can give you the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.